Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, God, I thank you for the gift of children. I thank you for the gift of the call that you have upon their lives. And Lord, I ask that you would bless parents as they help to discern the best ways to raise their kids, to lead and provide and protect them in this world. Lord, help us to continue to grow in discernment, continue to have a sensitivity to the call of the moment. Lord, we are um, so sorry for ways that we fall short or just settle for less in honoring you. So Lord, help us not to do that. Help us to put you first in our thoughts, in, in our lives. We thank you that you love us so much. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today on the program, several things I'm going to do. Uh, the first is, I want to just share with you a bit about my time over at Aquinas Classical Academy in Bremerton. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, what's it called? Its location is at Our Lady Star of the Sea. That's pastored by Father Derek Lappy. The headmaster of the Aquinas Classical Academy is Mike Prado, uh, a real veteran of Catholic uh, educational leadership in the Archdiocese of Seattle, and my brother-in-law. And I got to tell you, I was so proud of 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 their work, their labor, as well as so many amazing uh, board members and committed adults, uh, adults, parents, who had been working and laboring for years to have a Catholic high school out in the Kitsap Peninsula, and then the uh, you know the courage of a couple of parents to step forward and say we are going to bring a classical Catholic high school to Bremerton, and with Father Lappy's support. They rolled up their sleeves and dove in, and they are coming to the end of their first year, and uh, as of next year, they're going to have 40 students, so they're doubling in capacity. Uh, they're doubling in, in terms of their number of students in, in one year, and it's just not a surprise. It's not a surprise, and it's not a surprise for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, if you as parents are saying, at home, I'm attempting to foster a Catholic faith in my kids. In my home, in, in our kids' lives, we are consciously, intentionally making efforts to foster a Catholic way of seeing the world, a Catholic attitude towards the world, and a Catholic way of living in the world. If that's your goal as parents, and you have high school students, you, uh, you only have one choice, really, uh, in, in your, if you're south of Seattle um, and in the Tacoma area. Uh, that's the Aquinas Classical Academy. That's the only high school that you're going to have your kids grow in fervor uh, as Catholics in the fullness of the Catholic faith. There, there's just not an option. Um, if you might consider Kennedy or Bellarmine, I say those are great choices if you want your kid to lose their faith. If you want your kid to be uh, presented a form of Catholic faith that isn't fully Catholic, that isn't vibrantly Catholic, that isn't courageously Catholic, that isn't convicted about living their Catholic faith. Uh, however, if you want a, an option for your kids to be able to be around other kids and families who are uh, proud and passionate about the orthodox presentation of the Catholic faith and are willing to embrace the disciplines involved with a classical mode of education, which is, it's quite a challenge academically, frankly, it is. And if, if you want to see kids like joyfully embracing, celebrating, living and loving their Catholic faith, their Catholic faith, then Aquinas Classical Academy, check it out. It's in Bremerton. And I know that might mean for some of you, you know, a serious effort in terms of driving and coordinating and scheduling and maybe even moving to get to Bremerton. But it's one of those things that increasingly uh, Catholic parents, especially Catholic parents of tweens and teens, are realizing that if I just keep doing what I'm doing, my kids' faith will not only be drained away, but it's going to be replaced by a diabolically inspired alternative, which will twist their kids' understanding of God, of the Catholic faith, and of life itself 
It will often lead them into traumatizing situations, situations that lead them to anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicidal thinking, and exposing them to tremendous forms of sinful addiction, especially to things like pornography, immodesty, and uh, other uh, other ways of, of uh, frankly, uh, just a twisted way of looking at life and faith that comes pouring like a sewer, like a... Uh, a fire hose of sewerage coming at them through the internet. And so, gee, Tom, you having a good day today? <laughs> How's your day going, Tom? Um, I, I think you get it. I'm just convicted. I'm convicted by the parents of teens, that I, parents of Catholic teens, Catholic parents of teens, Catholic parents of Catholic teens, Catholic parents of teens who are trying to figure out who they are and how the Catholic faith fits in with that. If you have a tween or a teen and you are living uh, in the Puget Sound area, uh, you have an enormous battle on your hands and you must find like-minded, faith-filled families to walk with, to group together to support each other, encourage each other, hold each other accountable. And one of the biggest challenges that you're going to find is the schooling side of things. The school, the parish, other families who are like-minded. It's it's what, you know, people call the Benedict option, right? That Rod Dreher book that was identifying the fact that people today are increasingly and this book is what a bunch, I don't know, 5 years old I think, and it was based on posts that he had been writing prior to that point online, uh, that around the world, but in, 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 in a country like ours in particular, first world country, you have so many forces that have gutted Christendom, gutted the sense that America is a Judeo-Christian nation, a nation that is rooted in a Judeo-Christian view of the world that 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 ship has sailed the remnants of it still remain you still see some of the language of it you still see some of the structures of it but when you have self-identifying catholic politicians like nancy pelosi and president joe biden being so forceful in their promotion of baby slaughter of abortion of killing babies in their mother's wombs when science has left them behind, the medical field has left them behind, uh, that increasingly experience from women who have had abortions is ignored, denied, or shouted down. And it all in flying in the face, literally flying in the face of the gospel of life and of Catholic Church teaching, that abortion kills a baby. Abortion kills an innocent baby in the light in the womb of the mother. And that these politicians and many others here in the state of Washington as well can self-identify as Catholic and be uh, be promoting, supporting the legal adherence to the killing of babies in their mother's wombs. This is this is a horror, and the fact that church leaders are silent about it, don't push back, don't fight, don't stand, don't battle, don't say I can't sleep at night while this happens on my watch. And now to see the diabolically inspired uh, transgender ideology continuing to advance in schools, even Catholic schools, even Catholic high schools, it's, it's, it's become increasingly apparent that we're in this Elijah moment. How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people did not respond. And, and that's it. We don't want to be bothered. We don't want to be so bothered that it's going to disrupt the very fabric of our lives and to say, I don't want to have to change my life. I like it here. I like my friends. I like my neighbors. I like my sports teams. I like, but wait a minute, things are getting weirder. Things are getting more toxic. Things are getting more poisonous. What's happening to my kid? Oh, no. And the reality is that suffering awaits. Suffering and trials await, and the suffering and trials are going to come either through what happens to your kids as you watch them be seduced into diabolically disorienting approaches to life, into bondage in their thinking and in their living, um, or 
um, you're going to experience the suffering of saying, we have to flee to Egypt because I will not let my kids be slaughtered. And you're going to have to uproot and move, make serious efforts, unlike anything you'd ever thought of. That's the reality for tweens and teens. If you get younger kids, if you don't have kids in your home, you can, you can make it because you can live in a relative uh, degree of buffer from the toxic effects that are around you. You can gather with your friends. You can gather. The little kids are mostly protected and in, uh, from a lot of this stuff. But that's changing. It's changed for tweens and teens. It just has. And so the number of challenges that are in front of you, if you're going to raise your kids to be faith-filled Catholics, means making a serious effort to do something like they did at Our Lady Star of the Sea in Bremerton. If you can't start a school like that, get to a school like that. Make the effort. Drive an hour a day if you have to. Uh, or move to Bremerton. Do what you need to do. Or uh, what other families are doing, uh, pulling their kids from schools, homeschooling them, doing some kind of co-op, doing some kind of online schooling. But if you want your kid, the statistics, this is what statistics say. Let the statistics speak. The statistics say if you want your kid to grow in their love of the Catholic faith, in their devotion to the Catholic faith, in the practice of their Catholic faith, do not send them to a Catholic school. Oh, that's so painful. That is horrible. But that, that's not my personal opinion. That's the demographic analysis that as a result of kids going through these Catholic schools, typical Catholic grade schools and high schools, as a result of going through all of that, by the time they get out of college, they're no longer practicing their Catholic faith. That's just an overwhelmingly statistical reality, uh, meaning that it is an overwhelming majority of kids that just stop practicing their faith. They're no longer adhering to their Catholic faith. So, uh, wow. Boy, I didn't plan on starting with this. Man, I... I yeah, I just, when I was at that event at Our Lady Star of the Sea in Bremerton, it was so encouraging to see these young men and women, these freshmen and sophomores, right? When they open the school, they typically start with freshmen and sophomores, get up and talk about their faith in testimonies, uh, the way that they were interacting together, the stories of parents, the stories of the kids themselves, the stories, that, the testimony of the teachers, and then to hear that, you know, they've more than doubled their number of students for next year so far. The answer is no, no kidding. Not a surprise. Of course they have. Because parents are finally waking up. And I hope they wake up before they suffer too much. I, I really do. I hope that parents who are still trying to figure out, Tom, what are you talking about? I just hope and pray that um, you will be spared the suffering, the suffering that so many grandparents have whose kids have left the faith and whose grandkids are not baptized or whose kids, uh, maybe they're not grandparents yet, but their kids are out of the house and they're no longer practicing their faith and they're in uh, ways of lifestyles that are uh, supported and promoted by this gender ideologically entainted culture now and they are at a loss and they are on their knees and they are suffering. I, I I guess I, I speak this this alarm, this call, um, with a degree of frequency on the radio. Uh, and I know some of you get tired of it, right? Some of you are like, Tom, please, please move on. But I, I feel this conviction to do this because there are so many who won't hear it anyplace else. Who else is talking like this? Who else is speaking into their lives? And, and speaking from my own, ex not just my own experience, but the experience of, it's not even dozens, it's hundreds of other families, hundreds of other families who are in touch with me on a yearly basis with distress, distraught, in pain. And, and, and do you know what they say? Why didn't anybody tell me? Where, where were our leaders? Why didn't anybody do something about this? How come I didn't see this coming? Why didn't I know that there was an answer? And it's those voices that echo in my mind and heart, as well as, the, again, the anguish in the, on the faces and in the voices of the, the 
now empty nesters and grandparents who are in a place of deep suffering because of the, the what's happening and what's unfolding in their adult kids' lives and in their grandkids' lives. So I do feel a prophetic call to stand up for them and to stand up as to be a hedge of defense for others before you have to face the kind of suffering that, that I've known and that so many others have. All right, back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Okay, good. Whew. All right, I'm in a better place now. Uh, I actually am in a better place, <laughs> literally. Okay, so I am going to share some of the insights that I presented at that um, the showcase at the uh, the fundraising dinner uh, for the Aquinas Classical Academy because I was asked to bring out um, what I believed were important like elements associated with classical schools and especially faith-based classical schools that were related to the call of the moment. Like, what is this all about? It's it's really a phenomenon, the, the number of faith-based classical schools that are showing up around the country. And I think if you, if you listen to that first part of the program I just did, that it really goes a long way of explaining it. People want to preserve the culture uh, of faith in their kids' lives, and they're finding that classically, uh, classical schools that are faith-based provide a, um, uh, a foundation that will involve rigorous discipleship and a culture in the school itself that's healthier, it's refreshing, it's life-giving. It, it just is. I know that from the three years that my kids have been in faith-based classical schools, Catholic and Christian. And I could not be a stronger supporter of any for anyone who can to get your kids into a faith-based classical school. Um, so, but one of the things that I shared, what I did was I was trying to be somewhat clever or at least relevant, was I drew some principles out of St. Thomas Aquinas. And this actually links to yesterday's conversation on the program with Father Lewis, where we were talking about formation. And in particular, I used the concept of seminary formation as a basis uh, of framework for what does it take to make a disciple to be a disciple. And I talked about theological, spiritual, apostolic uh, formation and community as the context of formation. And then Father Lewis um, correctly added human formation as another dimension of seminary formation. So we had a chance to talk, I think we talked mostly about theological formation, a bit about spiritual formation, and then at the very, very, very tail end, talked a little bit about uh, apostolic and community formation. So I want to tease out um, a and flesh out a little bit more of the themes from that program, and um, and hopefully in a way that is is relevant for you. So let me draw a theological principle from Saint Thomas Aquinas that that's relevant to this this very task of being parents, and being parents who have been assigned a stewardship. When you were given the gift of a child, God also gave you a stewardship to lead, provide, and protect that child to. Uh, to arrive at their God-given destiny, which is to be uh, happy with God in heaven forever, right? To be a child of God in, in heaven forever. And uh, I, I'll, I'll come back around how this leads to faith-based classical schools as, as an answer provided by God in this moment. I, I do really believe that. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenon. It's a, it's a movement that, that the Lord is inspiring. Uh, but the principle was this. He says, Aquinas says that it's a sign of the nobility of a creature, the nobility of a creature, that in order for it to be fulfilled, it requires help from the outside. In order for a cre- the fact that a creature requires help from the outside, in order for it to achieve its purpose, is a sign of that creature's nobility. Rather than, for instance, it's, uh, it's, it's poverty. It's lacking. Right? If you think, oh, in order for this thing to be what it is, it needs help, versus this thing doesn't need any help to be what it is. You'd think that the thing that doesn't need any help to be what, be what it is 
would have uh, a higher status or a higher standing. But Aquinas would say, you are incorrect. <laughs> so the simplest example would say, a rock needs no help to be a rock. A rock is a rock is a rock. And the rock is going to be as much a rock tomorrow as it was today. doesn't need any help. However, a human being is an example of a creature that needs help from the outside in order to be fulfilled uh, to achieve its purpose. And which is quite obvious because uh, a baby in, in uh, her mother's womb, a, a little child that's born in this world is absolutely dependent upon help from the outside, help from mom, help from dad, help from the, the family for that child to grow and flourish. You take away that outside help, child is not going to survive. So Aquinas identifies this as a sign of its nobility, that it's higher in the scale of being rather than lower in this chain of being, that uh, animals are higher than plants or higher than uh, rocks. Rocks, uh, you, know, you know, just uh, pure things uh, are the lowest on this chain of being. But the higher you go, the more that there's a sense of reliance on something from the outside to, to achieve its purpose. But if we hone in on this, what about you as parents fulfilling your call to raise your kids to achieve the purpose for which God has created them? Well, guess what? Don't consider it a sadness or a sign of your incapacity if you don't have everything that it takes to help that child be the one that God intends them to be. That's not how we're made. We're not made to be self-sufficient and uh, independent uh, uh, and totally in control of being able to have our kids become who God intends them to be. We need help. We need help help. That's part of our nobility. It's how God made us. I, I, I'm going to use, this is, I'm speaking now, um, in, I'm going to speak by analogy, so so don't like turn me into the theological censor and say Tom committed heresy, but I'm going to use the word help, I'm going to put it in quotes, and I'm going to use it um, somewhat equivocally, okay? I'm going to say this, that the Father needs help in order to be the father. Why? Well, the father needs the son. <laughs> gotcha. See, the father needs the son in order to be father. See, see the theological theologians refer this as, as refer to this as the relational identity of the persons of the Trinity. There is a relational identity to the persons of the Trinity. That the first person of the Trinity uh, is Father, and that's how God has that's how God has revealed Himself in Christ as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and not as first, second, and third persons of the Trinity, but as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the fact that Jesus has revealed that the first person of the Trinity, the Source, is Father, is really beautiful and powerful. Because as human beings, we understand that you don't just call that person, like for me, you could call me husband, and husband doesn't necessarily imply father. But I'm husband, and so in order for me to be a husband, what do I need? Well, I need a wife. So that's a relational identity, or a relational identifier of me. The same with father, right? So... There's a way in which just at the, at, at the core of our being is this sense of saying God has made us to be this communion of persons where we're called upon to rely on each other, to support each other, encourage each other, and hold each other accountable. And so you're not going to be able to do it all on your own. You're not going to be able to figure it out all on your own. And then the question is, who are you going to rely on? Who are the ones that are going to be the best, healthiest, most uh, life-giving sources of encouragement and support and accountability. That's where, for me, I look at something like a classical faith-based high school as an incredible gift of our time, because there you're going to find administrators and teachers, uh, you know, uh, and other other families that are very intentional. 
They're very intentional. In other words, they're living their lives with a, a sense of, we're determined to achieve this particular purpose. We're determined to achieve this particular goal. And that's an incredible gift that uh, is, is found at a higher degree of concentration at classical schools. It is. It is because of the nature of those schools. They tend to be based on people's own adherence to a profession of faith. And that means there is an expressed commitment of faith and a particular philosophy of discipleship. We are here to make disciples. As compared to the more recent model that is more typical in Catholic uh, schools, Catholic grade schools and Catholic high schools that are not classical, the emphasis is not on discipleship, it's on evangelization, meaning on being open to others coming from everywhere to be able to access a good education and let it happen in a Catholic environment. But as I've said a hundred times on this program, what happens is the number of fervent faith-filled Catholic students in the school are vastly outnumbered by either non-practicing or non-fervent Catholics and even more by non-Catholics who are in the school, and they are very devout practitioners of the, uh, to one degree or another, to the anti-Catholic gospel of the present age, and that's what fills the school, is a uh, a, a tremendously minimized, twisted, or toxic version of the presentation of the faith that is going to disturb or destroy their Catholic faith. You know, I, I used to give a, a simple example, and actually Mike reminded me of it. Uh, Mike Prado, uh, when he was making some comments at this uh, at the at the Aquinas Classical Academy showcase, I remember my kids at Kennedy. Uh, Catholic high school, when we would go to the mass they would have there, and the gym was filled with kids, and here's the music ministry um, singing an opening hymn and inviting everyone to sing, and you could hear barely a peep from the students. They'd just kind of be standing there, and we parents would, at least I would, try to sing and like look around, and everyone's just sort of staring straight ahead. And I remember asking my kids, why don't you sing? They said, Dad, that's social suicide. It's social suicide to sing at Mass in a Catholic school. <laughs> or, for instance, just today, talking to my daughter, Mary Catherine, at Franciscan University. She's home for the summer, and she was just saying, um, it just said in passing, like the most natural thing, and it was about um, Chesterton. She graduated from the Chesterton Academy over here in Spokane, loved it, and in contrast said how... There was so much peer pressure at Kennedy Catholic, the best Catholic high school in the diocese of uh, uh, the Archdiocese of Seattle uh, a few years ago. I'd never send kids, and I'd never recommend Kennedy anymore, because um, kids will lose their faith there rather than gain or grow in their faith there. But she was she was saying how uh, all of the pressure was to be pro-choice. That as she attempted to stand for life pro-life, it was she who was attacked. Isn't that crazy? You just say, what? What is going on? And it's it's simply that uh, Catholic schools, by their very nature, are not um, not narrowing who they're going to accept in their doors, and as a result, because of the weakness of the Catholic Church's living of faith today in, in families that are sending their kids to these schools, you just don't get a strong Catholic presentation of faith among the students. And so the students are going to be much more looking like, sounding like, and believing like the wider culture that you're going to get on TikTok, Instagram, uh, you know, Snapchat, and these other um, social media platforms, which will completely undermine and overthrow the Catholic faith with an anti-Catholic, demonically inspired, false uh, way of living life that is so destructive, so destructive. That That's what's at stake today. It's just so sad to say it, but it is. Okay, so we, we are going to need help, and it's just a matter of who we're going to draw help from. Okay, the second one, uh, the second principle that came from Aquinas was this, is that uh, by nature, we human beings have a goal, have a purpose that is beyond nature. It's a supernatural goal. And that it's, it's a simple thing to say, but it's a profound 
insight into the human condition. Hear it one more time. St. Thomas Aquinas says that human beings are those beings who by nature, by, by how we're created, have as a goal, have as a telos, as a purpose, as that towards which we are aiming, an end is the word, right, that is beyond human nature. It's a supernatural end, a supernatural goal, a supernatural purpose for our lives. Now stop and think about that. An implication of that is that every single human being, every single one, has within them this ache. It's how Augustine talked about it. Right? He talked about this restlessness. It's this ache in the heart that cannot be filled by anything that is in this world. No amount of money, pleasure, stuff, power, uh, you know, fame, none of these things can fill that ache because by nature, we're created for something beyond anything that is found in this world. We're created for God, for a relationship with God. And that's how we're made. All right, why this is so important, we'll continue in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Okay, so we are made for a relationship with God. By nature, we're created for an end that is beyond nature. And that means every human being, that means all of your kiddos, that means you, that means all the people that you see around you, they have this ache in their heart. They do, whether or not they acknowledge it, whether or not they uh, are able to interpret what it is, no matter how it is they're relating to it in terms of their attempts to fill the ache, everyone is walking around striving to be ache fillers. And honestly, self-help literature makes its money because of the ache. It's true. Self-help literature of whatever sort, take the whole hundred flavors of self-help literature, they're all making a claim to be able to, in one way or the other, fill the ache. And 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 that's the brilliance of it. You want you wanna you wanna write a bestseller? All you have to do is be able to to describe well the human condition. If you can describe well the human condition, the situation that we're all in, where we are experiencing this sense of emptiness, this sense of absence of, of complete meaning, that we long to put ourselves at the service of something that is, uh, has, has a sense of meaning, that, that can give me a purpose for my life, that will bring me a sense of, of freedom and joy, that will give me a sense of fulfillment. Wow, there we go. Put that in the introduction to your book. Put that on the cover. <laughs> You'll sell a bunch of books. And you say, I've got the answer. Seven easy steps. Six principles. Five key insights. Four ideas. Three great truths. <laughs> two, um, two perennial principles that lead to the one ultimate goal. Happiness. Joy that fills your life to overflowing. Wow. Wow. There we go. Uh, and I'm teasing about it, but it's it's so true. People throw all kinds of money, time, energy. They will become devoted followers of anyone who can name their condition well and say, I know the way out. I know how to get you fulfilled. But the truth is the ache is meant to be filled by God. Now, where my kids spend most of their time awake like in the hours that they are awake, they spend at least as much time at school awake. I hope they don't fall asleep at school. If you think of their waking hours, they spend as many hours at school as they do at home. I think so. Let's see. So if they get up at 7, they're, they're leaving the house at 8, start school by 8.30. They leave school at 3. So that's what, three and a half, six and a half hours at school. And then if they're in bed by 9.30, yeah, it's pretty much they're as many hours at school as they are awake at home. And honestly, if I think about the number of hours and the number of days where they have spent more time at school because of sports or, or being part of the musical or other activities, and then at home spending time connected to that schooling, homework, 
papers, all of that. So the getting ready to go to school and the coming back from school, the most prominent activity that my kids are engaged in for the better part of their year is associated with the school they're attending. That's worth pondering. So who is it that I'm trusting to shape and mold my kids, to influence my kids uh, in, in the way that they should walk in life? Well, at least as much time as Carrie and I are spending with our kids, we have these other teachers and these other students spending time with their kids. And honestly, I want them to be taught by teachers who get the ache, who understand what the ache is, who are going to speak to them about math and science, history and religion and music and art and every and any other topic that they're going to face in a way that incorporates that truth, that God is their creator, that Christ is their redeemer, that the Holy Spirit is their sanctifier, that life on earth is to glorify God, and we can see God's glory in all of these different topic areas of study, and that you can approach these topic areas of study in a classroom that can begin in prayer, that can reference the wonders of God in all of these different uh, disciplines, these different academic disciplines, and doing so by uh, teachers that are full of faith and fervent in their faith and surrounded by other kids that are coming from homes that love their faith. You know, that's what I want. That's what I want. And even if it was less vigorous academically, but it's not, it is not. My kids went to hard schools. My kids went to Catholic schools that just weren't Catholic, but also had a rigor academically. The, the, the school they're at now, this classical faith-based school they're at now, blows them away, blows them away in terms of the, the level of academic rigor that, that my kids face. But that's not why they're there. <laughs> in fact, why they're there is, is, is so much more rooted in the faith that is incorporated into all that they're doing. Because by nature, my kids were made for a goal beyond nature. And if my kids can learn that truth and interpret what's happening inside of them, then I'm more than happy. I'm, I'm being fundamentally assisted in my attempt to raise my kids in faith. So on Monday, and this is Monday night when I'm recording this, on Monday, uh, my daughter Ariana gave her uh, senior thesis. She presented it 20 minutes long. She stood up there and spoke, uh, looked people in the eyes. It was her senior synthesizing thesis, uh, and it was bringing together the the different methods and modes of the uh, the different methodologies of the trivium. So involving both grammar and uh, all grammar, logic, and rhetoric as she stood up there and presented her thesis about how to foster greater missionary zeal among young people today. Did you hear that? <laughs> what she spent the better part of her year preparing was a 20-minute oral presentation that she had memorized on how to foster greater missionary, uh, greater zeal for missionary activity among young people today. And she stood up there and she had three judges judging her presentation. And they thanked her for preaching the gospel in that class, in that, uh, in that auditorium, in front of her classmates and parents. And I was so proud, right? And the fact that that was uh, applauded, promoted, advanced, supported, elevated, could, could make me happier, right? It just couldn't make me happier. That, that, that came out of my daughter. She chose the topic. She uh, advocated to have that as a topic, and she wrote it on her own. She did it on her own. I got to hear it. I got to hear the full presentation of it for the first time on Sunday night. She presented it to the family. I had read um, 
uh, earlier versions of it, but got to see her present it. So beautiful. Um, and what's the point? She gets it. She gets that there's an ache in the human heart. She gets that it's the encounter with the love of God that is going to move people. That's what she said. She said it's having, it's having an encounter like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. That was uh, her key passage was, if you want to fulfill the great commission of Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right, 19 and 21, if you want to fulfill that great commission, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them uh, what I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of days. Uh, if you want to fulfill that great commission, you need Isaiah 6. You need to be a person of faith who enters into a place of worship and has an encounter with the living God that both reveals to you by his infinite glory and holiness, your own wretchedness without him, and yet is open to be cleansed uh, through God's mercy and then filled with his love that then fires you up to go proclaim God's truth to the world. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's what I want to be the fruit the fruit of her senior year of high school. And what is she doing in the fall? She's going on mission. <laughs> she's going to go and preach the gospel to all nations. Well, she's not going to go to all nations, but she's going to go to Guatemala, Swaziland, Romania, South Africa, uh, and, and she's going to go on mission with a bunch of other young adults who are full of faith. Now, sadly, it's not a Catholic missionary initiative. It is uh, interdenominational, and so it's open to Catholics. And my daughter, Mary Grace, went on there and had some wonderful Catholics on her team, and um, that, that's Ariana's hope as well. But, you know, fired up young people who want to proclaim the gospel and put their lives out there on behalf of Christ, that's what I would love to have to be the fruit of Catholic education. Uh, it is the fruit, in this instance, of a faith-based classical education because of the culture that was in the room. Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. So not everyone's going to have the opportunity to have your kids be at classical faith-based schools, but if you have the option of doing that, if you can get to schools like what's happening in Bremerton at Our Lady Star of the Sea, uh, the classical uh, faith-based school that's happening at St. Monica's, where Father Nagel is. They started with the grade school, and now they're growing the high school year after year, a year at a time. And again, what, a, what an incredible opportunity to find uh, a, in a, uh, a place where you're going to have families with that greater sense of density and concentration, because it's a different kind of school. It's happening at St. Mark's in Shoreline, another, again, what a beautiful gift that they are willing to invest themselves and say, this is something we need to do. If we are going to uh, help our kids be disciples today, we have to do something different than we have because we know statistically that it hasn't worked, that our kids, kids that have come through these schools, Catholic schools, have lost their Catholic faith rather than um, expanded and grown and shared and spread their Catholic faith. And, and again, it's not a surprise because of the culture we're living in. We have many Catholic leaders in politics, in business, who have succumbed to the culture of death. They promote ideals that are not in accord with the Catholic faith when it comes to marriage uh, as between a man and a woman, when it comes to now sexual identity as uh, involving the reality that God made us male and female. You say God made us male and female today and say that's the truth about God when it comes to sexual identity and you want to help promote that because that will lead to human flourishing. And if you lead to, if you present a false framework, a false theory of what's happening inside of young people when it comes to sexual identity, that's only going to lead to darkness and bondage, depression, self-harm, addiction, other types of terrible traumas reaching these kids' lives. Why can't we protect and defend them from that? And then again, just the, the over-sexualized culture, whether it's the pornography on the internet or comprehensive sexuality education that is filled with such heinous darkness that you can't even read the, the curricula and the content of these things in some of these parent meetings. Parents have been shut down because of the uh, offensive stuff that they shared at 
uh, to council members. They said, you can't talk like that here. And you're like, what are you talking about? This is my kid's homework assignment that you guys are promoting and permitting in these in our kids' schools. Are, are you serious? <laughs> so these are the kinds of stories that are out there. And parents are waking up. Parents are waking up and saying, I got to do something about this. I just can't keep doing what I've been doing. So if you're going to raise your kids in faith, with part of what that means is acknowledging that your kids have an ache in their heart and to help them understand that ache is so critically important. The next principle that I, I shared from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas that, again, is so equally powerful, it's simple to hear, but profound in its implications, has to do with what Aquinas calls knowledge of the soul that there's a truth about the soul. And, and by that, he, he's referring to the truth about the world that is unseen, that is invisible, but is present in the world that is visible around us. So he, the simplest way of saying it is, you can't see my memory, but if you ask me to remember, I can make manifest the reality of memory. I can, right? So you will be aware of the fact that um, you can ask me something and I'll remember it, but where's my memory? Right? And so the powers of the soul and the reality of the soul, the reality of being a person, that Aquinas says this, that knowledge of the soul is the most obscure knowledge, but once it is known, it is the most certain knowledge. Okay, Knowledge of the soul is the most obscure knowledge knowledge. Meaning what? If something is obscure, it's hard to focus. It's sort of like smoky and foggy. It's, it's hard to get clear clarity here, right? You, you can't get that crisp image. So knowledge of the soul is, is an obscure reality. And, and, and Aquinas is, is right, right? It, you can look around at the world and, and you can say, well, where is God? God isn't in the world the way that other things are in the world, like a tree and a chair and, and a book and other human beings. You don't go walk around the corner and say, whoa, hey, God, there's God right there and he's not over there. No, God's not present in the world the way other things are present in the world. My soul is not present in the world the way that other parts of me are present in the world. So there's an obscurity to it. And, and so acknowledging that, well, once you come to knowledge of the soul, it's the most certain kind of knowledge. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a quality of clarity that comes with, a quality of certainty, a quality of foundational correctness that comes to that kind of knowing that is even deeper than other kinds of knowing. The analogy that I like to use is something like, do you know that your spouse loves you? Do you know that your child loves you? Do you know that your parent loves you? Or uh, even just more broadly say, think of the person in the world that you are most clear about, most certain of, most um, confident in that that person loves you. And you say, okay, I, I know who that person is. It's person, it's Billy, right? Just pick a person. That's, I know this person loves me. I know, hear that word? I know this person loves me. And then I can say, well, I'm going to watch you guys interact. I'm going to take a look at the evidence. And as a result of that evidence, and as a result of all the stories you tell me about this person and how you know this person loves you, I can raise doubts. I can say, nah, I don't see it like that. I interpret it differently. I can see that those things that you think are signs of love actually are not signs of love at all. And the only answer to say to that is, the only answer that, 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 and it's not even going to be satisfying, but a correct answer is, you know what? You can you can interpret it like that if you'd like, but you're not on the inside of the experience. You're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. And 
I know that this one loves me. I know it. And there's a level of clarity, of depth, of certitude that you would say, I know that this person loves me even better and and more securely than I know that two plus two is four. Two plus two is four. Okay, I can say intellectually, I acknowledge that that's correct, and I know that that's true, but the richness and the depth of my knowing that this person loves me doesn't even compare. It's just so much more certain in my mind that this person loves me than that abstract idea, that abstract concept that two plus two is four. So that's what I'm talking about. And and so here's the thing. Who can help shepherd our kids? Who can help disciple our kids on the path from obscurity to true knowledge of the soul? Wouldn't you want your kids to be in an environment and environments and parishes and youth groups and other initiatives and faith-based efforts, but a school where, guess what? The disciplines of the mind, the disciplines of the mind that will help accompany that young person to go from obscurity to certainty in knowing takes place. And that's what I want for my kids. And, and and that actually brings me back around to the gift of a classical education. A liberal arts education is one that focuses on disciplines of thinking that come from philosophy and theology. Disciplines of thinking like logic, grammar, rhetoric, being able to tease out the rules of thinking and uh, the, the different forms of fallacy and being able to understand how to proceed on a path intellectually, understanding uh, the difference between logic, paradox, dialectic, dialogue. These are disciplines. Learning how to take a philosophical stance of wonder uh, being discipled in your thinking, right? These are things that will, these are things that just don't happen naturally. These, these are, these are uh, philosoph, these are intellectual pursuits that require uh, teachers who get it and who can walk your kids into it. And, and that's what happens in solid, grounded, classical, faith-based high schools is that they have the light of faith they have teachers who integrate that fundamental belief of God into what they're doing, and they have the disciplines and categories that are drawn from the trivium and a classical liberal arts approach that will lead these kids from obscurity to knowing about the reality of God. Wow, that's what's required today in so many instances if our kids are going to not only survive but thrive in faith. That's what I want for all of our kids. God bless your day.